Do you dread mail from your bank? Are you anxious about paying the bills? Can you see a way out of your financial situation? Welcome to episode 236 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Robin, Lucy, Kathleen, Deborah, and Eric. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Robin, Lucy, Kathleen, Deborah, and Eric. We could not do it without you. Thank you for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer and I am your host today. I'd like to start with a reading from our daily reader, Courage to Change, December 11th. I always figured most of my troubles would be over if I won the lottery. Anything would be possible with that much money. But would it take away the effect alcoholism has had on my family? Would it make the drinkers sober? Could it guarantee happiness? Is money really what I want? No, of course not. What I really want is to feel better. Nothing will eliminate all the problems from my life. Since there are difficulties with which I must live, the only real answer is to seek the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Today, I know that serenity is available to me free of charge when I go to Al-Anon meetings and then apply the principles I learned there to my life. Money won't buy serenity. In fact, I'd probably have a whole new set of problems and decisions if a fortune ever did fall into my lap. But as an Al-Anon member who can rely on a higher power's help with any and every problem that comes along, today I feel like one of life's winners. A little while back, a listener wrote and said, could you talk about financial insecurity? And this is something that has been part of my experience for many years. And so I thought I would talk about my experience with financial insecurity, with fears about money and spending too much money and not having enough money, or so I thought, in hopes that maybe it strikes something that you can identify with and maybe help you with your fears of financial insecurity. I'm not really sure where to start with this, because my relationship with money for my whole life has been one of, I think the word that most accurately applies here is denial, or assuming that I would have enough money for the things I wanted, or more accurately, I think to say I would as, I would assume that I had enough money for the things I wanted. But if I look at the evidence, that really hasn't been true. I think when I first started having financial insecurity was probably the year after I graduated college and I was no longer being supported by my parents. Hmm. Actually, no, I think I can take it back further than that. Because as, as a child, I did not feel that I had enough money for all the things that I wanted. I was always moving money mentally from here to there and justifying it as mine when perhaps it wasn't actually. As a teenager, 
I had a paper route. I don't, maybe some of you remember daily delivery of newspapers. Maybe some of you still have daily delivery of newspapers. When I was growing up, many of those newspapers, the daily paper, were delivered by high school-aged children. And I was one of those. And I remember times when I would I would have to go from house to house collecting the money every week. Some people subscribed by paying the newspaper directly, but most people who got the newspaper paid me in cash. And then I had to pay my distributor in cash, I think weekly. A little fuzzy now. It's been a while. And there were times when I found myself having to go and collect from people not on a regularly scheduled basis because somehow I had spent the money that I needed to give to my distributor. A little bit of inventory there. So it really goes back a long ways of when I wanted something, I paid for it, and then I scrambled to find the money. Yeah, one of my, I suppose you could call it shortcomings or character defects. Was that in my fifth step? I don't think so. Here you go. When alcoholism entered my life, the problem got worse because of two factors. I think two factors here. One is that money was spent. Oh, wow. Passive voice there. We spent money on alcohol. We spent an increasing amount of money on alcohol. And, you know, most of that probably went to the alcohol consumed by the alcoholic in my life. But I also used alcohol to deaden my feelings and probably realistically, I bought more during that time than I had in the past. Not sure. But the other thing that happened there was that as we started spending more money and as we started maybe spending more money than we actually had, and because of the effect that alcoholism had on our lives, on our ability to manage our lives, on our ability to see the truth of our situation. I think we both went into denial. I think we both went into denial about how much money we had, how much money we could actually spend. The alcoholism escalated during the time that our children were young, and we were also spending money at that time on childcare. We both had jobs. We figured, hey, we can pay somebody to take care of our kids so we can work. And I suppose that was true, but I also know that during that time, we started to go into debt. We had expenses that we did not have the money to pay right away, and so we would put them on a credit card. And our credit card balances started to go up. And I remember, I don't remember how far in it was, but I remember looking at our credit cards and saying, oh my God, oh my God, we owe so much money. I think, trying to think at that time how much I was making, but let's say we owed somewhere between a third and a half of my annual income in credit card debt. That's a lot. That's a lot. But I didn't see how to not, how to get out of that. I know we did a number of things along the way. There were some windfalls, I guess I would say. At one point, I had, the work I had done as a graduate student had contributed to actually forming a company and I got some stock in the company. And at some point the company decided to sell themselves 
And so I got money for the stock that I held. And that money, as you, if you've been, if you've been in this place with alcoholism and financial insecurity, you can probably guess what happened. It went away very quickly. It went to, I don't know, actually, you know, it went to pay bills and went to pay down credit and it was gone. And our debt kept, kept mounting, you know, it seemed hopeless. It seemed like, I don't know what to do here. I'm just going to do a thing. We talk sometimes about first things first. We talked about that slogan last week, I think, with Eric. We talk about doing the next right thing. But in this situation, I didn't know what the right thing was. I didn't have clarity of thought. I had. I was living in fear. I was living in anxiety about debt. And so I would do crazy things. What looks in retrospect, okay, in retrospect, I can look at that and say, wow, that was crazy. That was not sane thinking. But at that moment, it seemed like the only thing I could do. We borrowed money from my parents. We did balance transfers. You know, we would get these offers from the credit card company. Hey, do a balance transfer and it's 0% for six months. I'm like, cool. Okay, I'll transfer this balance. We'll have zero interest and we can pay it off. Except the pay it off part didn't happen because I would have set the credit card to do an automatic payment of maybe the minimum balance. Well, you know, if you're paying it off at the minimum balance, you're not paying it off. You're just giving interest to the credit card, even if you're in a 0% place. And the other thing that happened is I started being fearful of the mail. I would get letters from the credit card company, the, the, the monthly bill. I would get letters from the bank saying, um, you just overdrew your account and we've taken it from your savings or your line of credit or whatever it is. Or, and of course we're charging you 20, 30, whatever dollars it was, because you overdrew it. I was so much living in fear that I wouldn't even check the balance on a regular basis. I, you know, it was denial. It was absolutely denial. I would, I would, my mind said, you have enough money to pay the things you need to pay. You're making good money. Both of you, both of us at that point were making good money. But our debts were so high and we were not paying attention to what we were spending that I would get, and this is long enough ago that, you know, it wasn't the internet. I would get a letter from the bank saying you overdrew the account three days ago. And of course, then it would be another letter and another letter and another letter because it was three days ago. And even if I ran down and put money, transferred money right away, there was still a couple more days where, you know, checks, charges were coming in. As you might imagine, this is not a good way to live. It is not a way to live that produces any kind of serenity. It is a way to live that produces fear and anxiety and you know, not being able to go to sleep at night, etc. So the other thing that happened was because I was living in fear of not having enough money, I would delay paying bills. And I think at this point, that was my responsibility to pay the bills. And so I would try to leave them to the last minute and then the last minute would go by and I still hadn't done it. And so then we get late charges. I mean, you know, it was crazy. It was insane. It was not a way to live that could keep 
ongoing. It just wasn't. We refinanced our mortgage several times. You know, we bought this house ooh, 30 years ago. We bought this house 30 years ago. If we had stuck with our original mortgage, it would have been paid off 15 years ago. But because of our finances, because we were not able to keep our finances under control, we refinanced it over and over, and we're still paying a mortgage. And the mortgage we're paying now is more than twice the original mortgage. So all these things happened. All these things happened. And towards the towards the end of my insanity, my unmanageability, I had these thoughts. I thought, well, the problem is the drinking. I mean, that was obvious. Everything, the problem about everything was the drinking, right? We're spending too much money. She is spending too much money on alcohol. And if she's spending too much money on alcohol and the problem is that we don't have enough money, then one solution that came to my head, which thank God I never acted on, I never acted on, was, well, what I should do is like make wine at home because then it will be cheaper. Yeah. But I thought about that and I blamed it on her. I blamed our problems on her, all her problems, all our problems, clearly her fault. But my part, my part, I think I've said this before, but I remember thinking, well, she's spending all this money on alcohol. So I get to spend money on other things. I get to spend money on things I want. That did not help us live within our means. I would lie awake at night worrying about our bills, worrying about the money that we owed the credit card companies. I think at one point she said, maybe we should declare bankruptcy. I know this happened. I don't remember. I think she brought it up. And that seemed like a possibility. It really did. But it was not something that I wanted to do. It was not part of the image I had of myself. You know, I was not somebody who was bankrupt. Ah. But what could we do? What could we do? How? How to recover? I'm just living in fear at this point. I'm living in anxiety at this point. Every piece of mail from the bank, from a bank, from a credit card company, every piece of mail engendered anxiety. And at the same time, because, hey, we had so much credit and we were continuing to manage to pay it just barely, we kept getting offers for more credit. Like, this is crazy. And sometimes we took them. So what happens? What happens? How do we get out of this? I was so fearful, you know. I was just in fear all the time. And I thought, maybe I could go to a therapist about this. Or maybe, at this point, I was already in the program. Maybe, maybe somehow, maybe somehow I could work the steps on it. I'm going to give you one specific example of where my anxiety and my fear came up on a regular basis, and it was about our bank balance. I get paid every two weeks. No, I get paid twice a month. And, you know, bills come in typically monthly, and I need money to function. I need money for groceries. I need money for lunch. And I never knew how much money we actually had. I had what I call bank balance anxiety, but I wouldn't check it because if I checked it and it was too low, then that's bad. 
I don't want to know. It's denial, right? But I'm afraid of the envelope saying you're overdrawing your account. Or now it's a text message and the email saying, your balance is low. And I would go to the ATM and I would get out money. And then for the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, I would be like, is my phone going to buzz? Because now there's a message from the bank saying the balance is low because I wasn't checking the balance. When it's, you know, when you, when you go to get money out of an ATM and it says print a statement, I would hit no. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I asked for help. This is step six and step seven. Becoming ready to have our higher power remove our defects of character and then asking for help to do that. And I said, I can't live this way. I cannot live in this anxiety and this fear. Please help me. And the next time I went into the bank, and I think I had to deposit a check or something. I don't know. I went into the bank and the teller handed me the receipt, which I knew had the balance on it. And I looked at it and I didn't die. You know, <laughs> I didn't die and I was okay. You know, my higher power had taken that fear and given me the ability to look. And I will say that sobriety helped because it helped to make us both more rational and helped to make us both more logical and helped to make us both less in denial about our money situation. And we started to make a plan to actually pay off our credit cards. And I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Dave Ramsey, and I have not taken his course, but I have definitely heard about it. I've heard of friends who have taken it. And the idea of what he calls the debt snowball, where you start by paying off your highest, either highest balance or highest interest rate debts. And when you pay one down to zero, then you take the money you were paying to it and apply it to the next one. And as you do this, the rate at which you're paying off your debt gets higher and higher. And we did a, we started to do a version of that. And that, you know, that was a plan. That was good. The other thing that just the program itself gave me is in the traditions and in the concepts of service, tradition seven in particular says that we are self-supporting. And that suggested to me that going to other people for help, going to my parents, going to friends who are in a better financial place and asking to borrow money, while it might seem like it helps, is not, is not a spiritually sound place to be, that we really want to support ourselves. We really want to live within our own means. We want to do it on our... And I will say that when I was in a place where I couldn't do it myself for whatever reason. I don't find shame in having asked for help, but if I can do it without asking for help, that leaves me in a, in a better place spiritually and emotionally. So the seventh tradition and also the first general warranty of the conference. And if you haven't heard of this, I, that doesn't surprise me. The, the general warranties are contained within 
the concept 12, which is going to be way at the back of any of your Al-Anon reading, the first warranty says that only sufficient operating funds, including an ample reserve, be its prudent financial principle. What does that mean for me personally? And, I, and you know, I've got to go back to, to Dave Ramsey here from what I understand of, of his principles is he suggests that you should have what he calls an emergency fund. He puts a number on that. I think it's $1,000. So that when your car needs to be repaired or when something else unexpected happens, you have money. You don't have to borrow to cover it. And this is in this warranty is this reserve this ample reserve, enough to cover unexpected events or to cover the expected events. So I own a house and every year I have to pay property taxes. And a long time ago, I decided not to have the bank, the financial institution that was holding my mortgage to pay those, but to pay them myself. I mean, in general, I think that's a good idea because they're not holding on to my money and get the interest for my money to pay my taxes. But it means that I have to have that reserve. I have to have that money allocated and dedicated to pay for the taxes when the bill comes. Otherwise, I'm going to put it on a credit card and you know pay a lot more with interest over the next however many months. That also goes into my ample reserve. I'm learning how to do that, okay? I've been on this world... 60-something years, and I'm learning how to do that. I'm managing to do that. And there were times, and I think it's been a while, but there were times when I had to put my property tax payment on a credit card. I don't feel good about that, but it's something that happened. And that, you know, contributes to the financial, fear of financial insecurity, it certainly does. In the book, How Al-Anon Works, in Chapter 17, it says, the warranties are about prudence. Prudence is not tight-fistedness or fear. It is the ability to apply skill and good judgment in the use of resources. It requires balance. When we acquire balance in personal relations, money matters, and in our contact with the world, we are acting prudently. And so I guess what the program is teaching me here is to be prudent, which apparently is something I didn't have. And not being prudent, I was in fear. When I act in accordance with the principles. That reduces my fear all by itself. When I find that I am able to take care of small things, that reduces my fear. Another way that I can reduce my fear is to actually to use one of those slogans that we talked about last week of first things first. I have a reading from how Al-Anon works. This is in chapter 31, which is titled, Letting Go of a Loved One's Alcohol, Drug, and Money Problems. I am learning to deal with my overwhelming fear and worry by asking myself, what is the most productive thing I can do at this moment? In other words, I try to put first things first. Sometimes this means I take a deep breath or go for a walk or do my work. Whatever the answer, it is never fret or worry. I can't change the past. I can't know the future so I can work to keep my attention firmly pinned on right now and deal with it as best I can. Even when I wasn't sure we would ever get out of debt, even when I couldn't see the goal, 
I could know that I had done the things that I could do today and maybe know the things that I can do tomorrow and have faith that these would be sufficient, that I would be okay, that the outcome might not be what I wanted it to be, but I would be okay. And this helps, this helped me and it helps me to not live in fear. But I also have this reading, and I think this this takes me back a ways. This takes me back to when I didn't know how I was going to get out. And there's this reading from Courage to Change, December 11th. I always figured most of my troubles would be over if I won the lottery. I used to think that the lottery would be the solution. But I also, I would go in and I would buy a easy pick ticket for the lottery and think, well, if I won... If I won the $50,000 prize, that would not completely wipe out what I owe the credit card companies. Yeah, it got to that point. It got to that point where we owed over $50,000 in credit card debt. And if I won the lottery, not the not the grand prize, but maybe, you know, it was like the, the not quite grand prize. I don't remember now, but that was a number. You know, if I won the million dollars, okay, that would that would wipe out the debt. And then as the reading says, we'd probably have a whole new set of problems. Never did win the lottery. No, that's not true. I won a few dollars here and there. I probably spent more than I won. It wasn't a logical solution, but it was like, if, what if I was living in, you know, I was living in denial and I was living in the, in the what ifs and, and what if, you know, I could win the lottery. Never happened. Never happened. But the lottery that I did win was to find Al-Anon and to find to find the tools in the program that help me to find serenity, that help me to know that I have done today what I can do today, and that I can let go of the rest of it until tomorrow and not have to be anxious all the time, to be able to go to sleep and wake up rested in the morning. That is a gift, and that is a gift of the program. Where are we today? Well, with the help of our program and with the guidance of my wife, who I think she's more disciplined about financial matters than I am, our credit card balances are at zero. We do have cards. We pay them off completely every month. That is a discipline that we practice. We have taken some loans to pay down the credit card balances. I think we may still have one from friends, the one financial company loan that we have will be paid off this month. We have a line of credit on our house that we're now ready to pay down. This is the debt snowball, right? Now that we've paid off the the credit card loan debt, we can take that money and put it to the house line of credit. And we have a mortgage. And we still have loans that we took to put our children through college. And I think, let me think, they graduated in 2013. Right, so we have five years to finish paying those off. But also, we are recarpeting our house. We put carpet in when our children were, before our children were born. So something like 27 years ago, maybe a little more since they're 27 years old now. And that carpet has suffered the ravages of time. It has suffered the ravages of children, of sun, of pets. There is a spot 
that is permanently stained where our aging dog decided it was okay to use as a bathroom, we're able to recarpet out of savings. We do not have to borrow money for carpet. And carpet ain't cheap, just saying, okay? We're able to pay for that from our savings. That's amazing. That is amazing to me. We're in a place where debt is under control. I, I, I don't feel like we're totally out of the woods, but it doesn't keep me awake at night. And it hasn't kept me awake, but it also is a place in a place where I'm like, this is actually happening. This is not a hopeless endeavor. And when it, you know, Alan and I gave me the tools to say, I've done what I can, and I don't know if I'm going to succeed at this. And now it looks like, yes, we will. We will pay off our debt, except for the, the house mortgage. But, and I've come to this understanding of capital debt versus operating debt. So if you buy, if you, if you go into debt for something like a house, then you have the asset, which is the house against the debt. If you go into debt for going out to dinner, the debt is there and the asset is gone. You know, you had the asset, you went to dinner or you went on vacation or whatever it was. And so I don't feel anxious about mortgage on the house. We're not upside down. We bought it long enough ago that that net didn't happen to us. And the, the debt that I felt anxiety about, we have managed. And that's a miracle. I mean, it really, it feels like a miracle. I felt like if I think, if I go back five, certainly 10 years, I didn't know how we were going to get out of it. I really didn't know how we were going to get out of it. And we have done it. And I think that's also important for me to see is that even though it looked hopeless by taking the next step, by doing first things first, by moving out of denial, by recognizing what was real, by accepting that there were things I couldn't change, but there were things I could and being able to step into those and change them has moved me from a place where I was paralyzed by fear to look at the bank balance, to look at the statement, to open an envelope. There were times when I would get an envelope from the bank and I, quotes knew it was about an overdraft and I could not open it. And sometimes when I opened it later, that wasn't what it was about at all. But my fear, my fear kept me from seeing the truth. My, my fear kept me from acting. And I'm not there anymore. And it's a wonderful place to be. But it did take time. It took time to move from the place that we were in of actual, you know, financial issues. We had some pretty deep financial issues. It took place to move from there to a place where we can buy carpet. But it took a lot less time for me to move from a place of fear to a place of at least acceptance, to a place of being able to sleep, to a place of not having that anxiety chewing me up all the time. And I got there by practicing the principles of this program. I got there by doing a deep and honest inventory. I got there by practicing gratitude. I got there by understanding and accepting that when I had done everything I could do today, that fretting and worrying is not productive. 
So those are my thoughts on financial insecurity and how it has appeared in my life and how the program has helped me to move out of that fear of financial insecurity. Our first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecovery.show slash 236, is a song that a friend of mine who plays in a band, this is one of the, a couple of songs that he sings, the title of the song is Six Pack to Go, and it apparently was originally performed by Hank Thompson. And for me, this, this captures where we were, where we were. A few of the lyrics here. Hey, Mr. Bartender, please don't be so slow. I've got time for one more round and a six pack to go. Tomorrow morning, Sunday, I'm going to be feeling low. So please, please, bartender, I want a six pack to go. I've been drinking all day long, taken in the town. I've done spent my whole paycheck just honky-tonking round. Well, I don't have enough to pay my rent, but I ain't going to worry, though. I've got time for one more round and a six-pack to go. And that feels like where we were. We were living in the moment. We knew we we knew, in some sense, that we didn't have enough money to actually meet our needs, but it was all about right now. And put the rest of it on a credit card. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. Last Sunday, I went to a meeting, and the topic was the reading of the day from Courage to Change, which starts out, newcomers are often surprised that the number of years longtime members have been attending Al-Anon meetings. They may even be more surprised that some of us have sobriety in our homes or no longer have any alcoholics in our lives. Why do we keep coming back? For many of us, the answer is serenity. And that that spoke to me. I've been in the program almost 16 years. My wife's been sober over 12. But I still regularly attend Al-Anon meetings because I need them to help me keep that serenity that I've gained. As I have said, and I will continue to say, it's like going to the gym. I go to the gym to keep my physical health. And if I stop going to the gym, my physical health declines. I become less able to do the things that I want to be able to do. I go to Al-Anon meetings to keep my spiritual health. And if I stop going to meetings, I lose my serenity. And so, yeah. Aside from the fact that the 12th step enjoys us to carry the message, I need it for myself as well. Thinking about the week, the week was about was about first things first, really, especially at work, where we're trying to make a, a decision. We're doing a new project, and we might be able to do it more effectively if we pay somebody else for part of the work. Uh, we had a meeting with them on Tuesday, and we've been now working through what do we think is potentially positive about this relationship that we might have, what might be negative, and what questions do we really not know the answer to still. And from that, then we said, okay, well, here's the next thing we need to do. Here are Here is our most pressing concern. L- what can we do to address that concern? And that is really 
using that principle of first things first. So we're moving on that. Went to my Saturday step meeting. It was the first Saturday of the month, and I sit at the table where we're working through the Alana Blueprint for Progress. We're on page 79 in the chapter on character traits, and we talked about the questions relating to the traits of relaxed and tense. And I had to reflect on how much more relaxed I am these days about almost everything, <laughs> just talking about financial insecurity, right? I'm much less tense about where we are monetarily, and that's partly because we have worked ourselves to a place where we're in a better place, but also partly because just because of acceptance of where we are and that it does take time, but that we have a path. One of the people at the table talked about where they grew up. They would go to the train station and there was a sign that said, no idling allowed, and that they felt like all their life they had been living in the the no idling world, that they always had to be busy, and that there was no time to relax. Somebody else spoke about gratitude, that finding being able to see things that we're grateful for helps to be less tense, helps to relax. Oh, that was good. It was a good meeting. This weekend, I'm feeling like I might have a cold. And so rather than fight it, I'm accepting it and taking care of myself so that if it is a cold, I'll get through it quicker. Not pushing myself. Another thing I've learned in the program. Upcoming topics, still working on parenting, still looking for your voice. If you, in particular, if you are the parent of an alcoholic or addict, I would love to hear your experience, your strength, your hope your fears. You can send email to feedback at the recovery.show. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can use the voicemail button on the website to leave a comment directly from your computer. If you want to leave us a longer share, use the uh, voice memo or equivalent app on your phone to record a share and email it, feedback at therecovery.show. All of this is detailed on our website at therecovery.show slash contact, and everything about The Recovery Show is on the website at therecovery.show. That includes links to the music we talk about and notes for each episode, along with contact information, how to subscribe to the show, and so on. Let's take another short break before we hear your voice. Second musical selection still available on the website is Money, Money, Money by ABBA. It's an earworm. It definitely is an earworm, but it also speaks to how many of us, how I have felt about money. Just some brief lyrics here. I work all night. I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? And there's still, and still there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too bad. And the, the chorus. Money, money, money must be funny in the rich man's world. Money, 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 always sunny in the rich man's world. Aha, aha, all the things I could do if I had a little money. I was there. I just need more. I just need a little bit more. And then everything will be fine. You know what? Alanon has taught me how to live in the now, how to live with what I have, instead of thinking, I just need a little more, and then everything will be fine. 
Now it's time for your voices to be heard. Kathy left a comment on the Carol S. Open Talk, which is number 234 at therecovery.show slash 234. I've just started listening to podcasts on my Android. Never had a smartphone before. I was lucky enough to find The Recovery Show. Being me, I have to listen to the episodes in the order that you posted them, so I don't miss any context. I just finished the episodes on What is Al-Anon and Enabling. They're absolutely top drawer. I've told my family and friends about these wonderful episodes, and I hope that they will try them out. Whether they do or not, I'm so glad that I found your show. Thank you for sharing your experience, strength, and hope in recovery, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy, and thank you in particular for sharing it. It is probably the best way for people to find out, the easiest way, I don't know, for people to find out about The Recovery Show is if you share it with the people you know. Ken wrote, Hi, Spencer and co-hosts. I just finished listening to episode 100, celebrating the milestone of your wonderful podcast. I was first introduced to The Recovery Show when my wife in AA discovered it on iTunes and sent it to me in August of last year. It's been my saving grace to keep my head on straight during hectic work weeks in between my regular face-to-face meetings and meeting with my sponsor. I'll be in the program two years this February, and your show has been an awesome supplement to my recovery. I greatly enjoy the variety of guests and opinions shared. It's so refreshing to hear people talk about recovery in this type of format. I like how open and honest you are, Spencer, as well as all of your co-hosts. I feel like I know each of you. Of course, like a good little Al-Anon, I had to listen to all of them in order, starting with episode one, still working on that perfectionism, but I'm getting better thanks to the program. Please, please, please keep doing what you're doing. I value it so much, and the service you are doing is tremendous. Not sure why it took me so long to reach out to you, but I suppose better late than never. Thank you for your service, Ken. And again, thank you, Ken. I like what you say about it being a supplement to your program, and that's really the way that I view the podcast is a supplement to a solid program. But also for the, for those of you, you know, if you're listening and you've never been to a meeting, if you're listening and you're not sure whether Al-Anon is a place for you, I'm also speaking to you, I hope. And I hope that, that you will find something in what we share here that resonates with you and that maybe it will bring you into the program. Who knows? But even if not, thank you. Daphne writes, Hi, Spencer. I was wondering if you could do a talk on how not to act or react on the first impulsive thought or feeling, and how do others sit with uncomfortable feelings and act on God's will, not my will. Letting time pass a month or longer or a week or a few days seems impossible when I am so anxious. How do you deal with that? How also to know God's time, as I'm a naturally impulsive person and have always did things fast. Any fear I have makes me say something I regret later or take action too soon as I don't give myself enough time to write and meditate and breathe. Really appreciate your show. Any wisdom you can share or provide for comfort. God bless Daphne from Melbourne, Victoria, which is in Australia. Oh, Daphne. (sighs) Pause. Pause is hard. Pause is a thing we learn to do. Pause is a thing we practice. You can pause for one breath, and then you can pause for two. You can pause long enough to say to yourself, is this really the way I want to respond, react, act? That's all I can give you, because that's what worked for me, is it just took time. It took practice. I didn't find a magic pill to suddenly not react. I still do sometimes. But that, that practice of 
taking a breath, that practice of count to 10. A friend of mine said recently, said, you know, I really want to, I really want to say something. And so I know myself and I count to 20 because 10 isn't long enough for me. Just some thoughts. Nancy responded to the slogans part two show that Eric and I just did. Hello, guys. I listened to your show on slogans from January 30th, today on my way to work. It lightened my burden incredibly. I've spent my life in a mode of kill and die instead of live and let live. It wasn't until I'd heard that said on your show that I recognized how I've been responding to life. Of course, I was groomed in this behavior for my parents. They are gone now, yet I'm still carrying on that legacy. It's been so damaging that I even took that behavior to Al-Anon. Nothing else penetrated, although I thought it had. When I got to work today, after listening to your enlightening show, I saw a sign on the elevator advertising for a group on smoking sensation. Along with date, time, and location, it stated simply, quit smoking. That popped into my mind as a slogan. I don't smoke cigarettes, but I've been smoking with rage for years. Now I'm ready to quit smoking. I need to find a meaning at which I can refuel, stop and get gas, as you so eloquently said on your slogan show. Additionally, I think it would behoove me to reach in my pocket and grab a coin instead of a Xanax, as I want to do. This show has been my gateway drug back into the program, and I can't thank you enough for it. One last thought before I go. We currently have a mouse in our house that was brought in by one of our cats. As it's still alive, I asked my husband to pick up a have a heart trap so we can rescue it from our taunting cats and give it a chance to survive the injury. It has already incurred. As if knocked on the head by this thought, I realized that Elanon is my have a heart trap. It rescues me and gives me a chance to survive the injuries I've suffered from the alcoholism in my family. Keep coming back. It's working for many. Sincerely, Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. And there's a couple of great little nuggets in there. Quit smoking. Quit smoking with rage. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And uh, have heart trap. Love it. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Robin, Lucy, Kathleen, Deborah, and Eric did. And thank you all for your contributions. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of these links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show or just listening to us, we are here for you. Our last song selection is Make the Money by McLemore and Lewis, which you can listen to again at therecovery.show slash 236. And the chorus here that just speaks to me about the power that money can have on our lives. Make the money. Don't let the money make you. Change the game. Don't let the game change you. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.